0: Well, Robin, where are you dialing in from? I know Arizona guy lived on Long Island, but where are you at now?
1: Uh, I'm in Wichita, Kansas. Uh, We are performing tonight at the Wichita River Fest. And uh, I'm coming to you live from the Drury Hotel uh,
0: workout gym health center. Yeah, keeping yeah, the it healthy health- for the masses. Yeah. The, those 12,000, 15,000 people tonight, they're seeing a healthy lead singer. That's right.
1: <laughs> that well, is
0: right. Good well, day to you, Darren. Thank you very much, Robin. Long, 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 long time fan over here because Great. I loved the Jim Blossoms in the early 90s. I loved the records that came since then. And one thing that I'm super curious about, is when you kind of realized that this was going to be forever for the rest of your life career. Because I remember there was the detour with the Gas Giants. There's been some side projects along the years. But these days, you're playing the biggest crowds that you ever have, in my opinion.
1: We are. We sell more tickets now than we ever did. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I suppose I came to realize probably about, I don't know, somewhere in the 2000s, which were a grim time for us. Uh, when we reunited in the early two thousands, we had to start like rebuilding our fan base and rebuilding our our business, and um, we had to do a lot of shitty gigs, yeah. a lot of a lot of shitty gigs, and it was uh, it was uh, depressing sometimes. You know, I heard I heard people ask this question, and it's, it's something you just never you never want to be asked by your fans, but the people used to come up to me all the time and say, "Why are you playing here?" You know it's just something you really never want to hear and um but it was sometime in the late 2000s where things started getting slowly better and better for us like uh, we started getting paid paid more we started selling more tickets getting bigger better festivals and things started coming around and then by time we did uh the summerland tour in 2012 Mm -hmm. with everclear sugar ray um who else was on that um marcy playground and um lit um and we really shined on that on that tour and we we consistently got the best reviews and the local papers and that's kind of when i realized uh, we were gonna be able to just keep going for as long as we wanted you know we'd be able to just keep Playing and the things were getting better and better, and it was also amazing to me on that tour was that we were the most like organized band on the tour. you know we, we, we'd look at, you know, we'd look around and it seemed like we kind of had our shit together, and the other bands on that bill seemed to look to us as uh sort of the the standard. and uh at least that's the impression I got and from just from things that they would say to me. And yeah. so, I guess it was somewhere around twenty twelve that I, I knew for sure that we were uh, going to be able to just keep going uh, until uh, until we can't anymore. You know?
0: I would have to imagine this point in time, and tell me if I'm wrong that the gym blossoms have basically two sets they can do. They have the like here are the eight to ten massive hits that you know. And then you have the ninety to one hundred minute. Here's the hits, but here's the stuff that we really want to play. And the one or two things from the latest record, too. Like you have those two sets.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's a good, good way to put it. We also have a third set. If we go to, uh, we do a lot of private parties these days. Yeah. And uh, p- p- private, like corporate functions, that sort of thing. Yeah. And we learned uh, we learned several years ago that we need to toss in a bunch of cover songs when we do those things. because. When you're playing for a corporate event, um, for an audience that maybe didn't even know you were going to be there, uh, you know, at some convention or something, they they want the hits, but they don't want to. It's it's hard to get people keep people on the dance floor when you're playing songs like "Competition," "Smile," and uh, you know, just the B the B side stuff. So. Several, probably about six years ago, I remember saying to the band, "If we're going to do these corporate gigs, we gotta we gotta toss in some really fun cover songs, uh, just to keep people on the dance floor." So, um, so we've got a third
0: set where we we have a bunch of covers in there. Yeah. You know? do, does the covers list ever include Christine Sixteen? Because that was a great Letterman appearance that the band had back <laughs> in the day.
1: Thank you, thank you. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, uh, no, it does it doesn't. No, um, uh, and you know, there's a faction within the band that doesn't like doing cover songs at all, <laughs> and it, it, it's that is extremely bothered by it. Right. And I don't, I don't understand that. Uh, you know, I mean, I didn't write every song that we do. Right. Um, and certainly this member of the group, uh, you know, didn't write a whole hell of a lot of the songs. So I asked him once, and he's like, what's the difference to you? It's like, you didn't write any of this material anyway. You know, so why, what's, what's the big problem with doing covers? And for whatever reason, he just has this thing It's like a, a point of pride, personal integrity, wants to play original music only and he, he gets really 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 hates playing covers so uh anyway you know you can't that's just part of being in a band is you got to deal with different opinions personalities objectives you know um we're we're lucky we've been able to work through most of that stuff and still be together after 35 years you know
0: Chalk that up to the Jim Blossoms being one of the most punk rock bands that people don't know is a punk rock band. Because one of the times I interviewed you, I had the pleasure of asking about why you used particular producers and you admitted, well, there was replacements influenced the whole thing. So in other words, (laughs) this band putting out this radio friendly stuff, but there's humor and there's attitude behind the whole thing. That's how I always looked at the Jim Blossoms and one of the reasons I really liked the band.
1: Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. That's, that's nice to hear.
0: So with KISS, was KISS an influence on the band or at that time, was that like a, hey, do you want to do this? And here's an advance and you'll be on TV for the promo tour.
1: Uh, well, for most of the band, that's what it was. It was <laughs> just, a, just a promotional opportunity. For me, it was a lifelong dream come true. I, I literally would dream about being in KISS when I was like in the sixth grade. I spent my entire, the entire year of the sixth grade in my best friend's basement pretending we were in KISS. Just we would put on KISS records and he would be Peter Chris, and I was Paul Stanley and we would just stand at the foot of his bed pretending we were doing KISS shows. And um, so for me, it was a lifelong dream and they were a huge influence on me as a performer, as a songwriter. And um, so when the opportunity came up to participate in the Kiss tribute record, I was very enthusiastic and uh, was able to, you know, somewhat easily convince my bandmates to go along with it. And then, you know, I had to look through the catalog to uh, figure out, like, what song would work for us as a band. And you know, we couldn't really do some of the, you know, more metallic things like uh, almost human or God of right. Thunder, Firehouse or whatever. You know, we we had to had to look towards the poppier stuff, and um, Hard Luck Woman was already taken. Right, I think Garth Garth Brooks did that one on the on the tribute record, so. Yeah, uh, I th- I I suggested Christine sixteen because it's a real pop song, and uh, well, yeah, we were able to uh, to get that recorded. I spent a a whole day in the studio hanging out with Gene and Paul uh, when we mixed that record, and uh, it was a, it was a huge thrill for me. I got to bring my Kiss lunchbox and get them to sign it, and my best friend from the sixth grade, I brought his copy of Love Gun and got it autographed and now that's framed on his on his wall and actually i live with him part time when i'm in arizona i live with my best friend paul all his kids mm-hmm. have moved away and so now i've got a room at his house and that uh, autographed copy of love gun is there on the wall every time i go down the hallway nice and uh yeah i was really really happy that i could make that opportunity you know opportunity for him and uh then i was super proud to go on television with kiss and front kiss on letterman and i'll tell you as a musician when i'm hanging out with other musicians and we're just chatting uh you know if it comes up and i say i got to front kiss on letterman you know my my peers go holy shit are you serious you know like you yeah. you, you did what you know and so uh it's a lot of a lot of credibility to be able to say that <laughs> and it so, goes
0: uh, it goes both yeah. ways i i have to add that half the people i interview play music partially in some way because of kiss and the other half of the people use it as a punching bag kind of band like the other day when i was interviewing the singer of sparta who's in at the drive-in the one band that he uses his punching bag <laughs> out of nowhere unsolicited was kiss so you never know if you're going to meet a friend for life because they love kiss or yeah. you know, a detractor i mean van halen is yeah. one of those
1: yeah uh well yeah i suppose you're right i mean some people that you know never really were able to get into kiss you know the uh the whole thing with all the the makeup and just the wacky personalities and then you know the music itself it's uh you know a lot of it comes dangerously close to spinal tap like <laughs> a parody of rock and roll you know and so uh, a lot of people just don't get it but uh i've always admired them they're they're fine craftsmen as songwriters mm-hmm. um they're they're the shrewdest businessmen in the history of the music industry yeah And, uh, yeah, I I love the music. I absolutely love it. You know, another band that people, that people don't understand is, uh, one of my favorite, favorite bands in the world who I consider one of the greatest rock bands of all time is the darkness. Oh, a lot of people, a lot of people just don't, don't get the darkness. And they think it's some kind of a joke. Um, and it's just nothing could be further from the truth. They're one of the most serious, uh, and, uh, and strongest rock bands in history, and um, it's but it's done. Some of the music is done very tongue in cheek. Totally, and a lot of people people can't get it. You know, I mean, uh, I love how fearless they are. You know, and it works for them. I mean, I could never sing. I could never write a song about Vikings and make it work, or yeah. you know, these are these are the kind of songs I was trying to write when I was like in the fifth grade. Songs about, you know, Vikings and UFOs and stuff. Uh, but uh, The Darkness, they can do that. And then at the same time, they know how to write like a, a universally understood uh, love song or just an anthemic rock tune. Um, there's nobody, nobody better. The Darkness.
0: Have you heard his podcast, by the way, before I asked my last yeah. question? The Justin. Yeah, Hall yeah. Yeah, just, Justin's... Justin's
1: great. He's he's one of my heroes. And uh, as a rock singer, I think of him as like uh, an Olympian god. You know, I um, I usually think that I'm, I, I know I'm a pretty good singer. And I, I'd like to think I'm somewhere in maybe the top 500 all-time greatest rock singers, maybe one of the top 200 living and working rock singers right now. Yeah. Justin is number one, number one living rock singer on planet earth
0: we're living working current rock star justin hawkins and a lead guitarist on top of that which you know uh, he needed more to do but but, but absolutely
1: and this and the songwriting vision you know just the the vision of of the uh, of a band leader just you know so there's none
2: none better Outrocast. where are you long island new york have you spent much time out here yeah, I went to University of Pennsylvania. So a lot of my
0: buddies were from there and still are. My condolences. <laughs> uh, Penn. Uh, I mean, schools don't get a lot better than Warden. Did you go to Warden or just just not? OK. So I'm speaking with somebody who's going to be a lot smarter than me. So therefore, we'll, we'll do our best to.
2: <laughs> I've seen some of your interviews, Shaq. I mean, you've got some great interviews, Danica, race car drivers, basketball players, movie stars. I mean,
0: I'm just small potatoes to you. I'm not going to say you're small potatoes because movies that you worked on were on the dorm rooms of everybody I know. They had those movies on the wall. Matrix, Fight Club, Romeo and Juliet, et cetera, et cetera and most people would you know end their career because of how big that stuff was that they can never peak it but for you the hits keep coming when we look at your imdb there's never a shortage of credits so how do you get it all done like that number
2: 1 <clears throat> there's no i in team okay it's a team sport and when i mean team i, I don't only mean the great people that I have in my company, which there are three or four women that just are fab, mm-hmm. but it's also you know, I'm attracted to things that a studio executive doesn't want to make.
0: <laughs> what that when you say it that way, you're totally right because a lot of the movies that you produced are they have the extra apatow 30 minutes that the fans love and the studio must be driven crazy by. Yeah, they just, they didn't want to make Matrix.
2: Uh, it was two brothers. They had a comic book. I had helped them on another movie. Yeah. Uh, jo- Joel Silver is really this mastermind producer, but they don't want to take the risk. So they call me to arrange financing for them. Right. Or... Air Force One, that seemed like such a great movie. I don't know why they didn't want to make that one. Uh, Lord of War, a lot of Nick's managers were like, don't make Lord of War, it makes no sense. Why would we do this? And then the studios called and said, if you kill him at the end, we'll buy it. And in the movie, it's about an arms dealer. There's going to be a sequel now being made And it's about this guy, Victor Bout, who was just let out and traded for our distinguished uh, basketball, female basketball player. Mm -hmm. And so they traded for one of the biggest arms dealers that Putin has ever worked with. So Mm -hmm. I am sure he's right back at work for, for the Ukrainian war. But so... These are things that are not in their mainstream. They're used to uh Mission Impossible 7, uh, yeah. Top Gun 2. Now, I love Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise and I are born on exactly the same day.
0: Not the 4th of July, right? 3rd of July. 3rd of July. <laughs> wow. It's literally
2: what? 3rd of July. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Same day, not, you know. Wow. And so... And I, when i talk talked to him, I'm like, you know, you know, we're born on the same day. He's like, okay, very good, Mike. What are we going to do, Mike? I say, you don't need me for anything. You're just going to make Mission Impossible, Mission Impossible, Top Gun. Or there's the Borns, you know, they like born one, two, three, four. You yeah, know, Fast and, and furious. furious, one, yeah. two,
0: three,
2: four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten.
0: <laughs> well, th- I mean, people do love sequels, but at the same time. I love them time. too. I love them too. It's just the challenge
2: is when somebody has a great idea or wrote a great book or, you know, we're coming out on June 23rd with a Nick Cassavetti script directed by him uh Nikolai costas Valder micah Monroe mm-hmm. January Jones Paul Johansson and Jamie Fox mm-hmm. Is that I God mean I think this uh, Huh God is a bullet is the name of that one God is a bullet it's a true story the book is written by Boston Turan, who's a best-selling author, he's, he's a brilliant writer. But you know, it if you imagine Taken times 20, you know, this really happened. This young girl of a desk cop, a 14 year old daughter is kidnapped by a cult and they don't use credit cards and stay pay mortgages, you can't find them. And mm-hmm. So this cop, with the help of an ex-cult member, played by Micah Monroe, has to do shit that a desk cop has never done in his life. He's gotta get tatted up. He's gotta get facial marks that resemble certain things. He's, he's gotta go to this certain small town in Mexico He's got to deal with the cartel, the drugs, the this, and it all adds up to eventually finding where his daughter is.
0: To which his daughter says, "Kill him, kill them all." <laughs> That's a little turn we weren't expecting there. I mean, I, I'm I'm a licensed private investigator. I do background checks on people. Great, I love you, it. You TV can series. find people. TV series. <laughs> you can find people if you if you try enough channels, but that sounds like a great movie, and I'm impressed that you could do that. You can have a reimagining of Alice in Wonderhand. You can have Blackout. Your films, it's not like we can go, oh, that's one of Mike's movies just by hearing a script. You do action thrillers, you do fantasies. You're all over the place, and I mean that in a good way.
2: I go based on the passion of the filmmakers and if it's something different.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: You need me for Matrix One to finance it. You don't need me for two or three or four. Air Force One, not two or three or four. (laughs) Lord of War One, not two or three or four. Right. Um, Romeo and Juliet that was a Fox picture with this young director Baz Lerman. oh yeah it was 14 million Fox was like it's got a black cross-dresser this or that why don't we split the risk with Mendelssohn they call me up they say hey will you split this with us wow I think it's a cool movie yeah let's go We split it with them. Seven and seven.
0: Well, not only was that a cool movie, but that soundtrack was one of the biggest albums of that year. That launched a lot of careers. The Cardigans. Think, were the Dandy Warhols on that? I I just remember that was a soundtrack that everybody had, including people who didn't like music.
2: Well, the God is the Bullet soundtrack you're going to love, too. It has Bowie. It has... I mean I have a list. Uh Kaylin, will you give me the list of the songs on God is
0: a bullet? It's just incredible. Not everyone can just license Bowie, uh, because no. you know there's the old catalog that might be through Abco still, or you know, the Bowie Bonds things. Uh so the fact that you were determined to get the Bowie clearances just says a lot right there. Bowie. Now I have to give credit to Nick Cassavetti's. When he delivered
2: me a song list, it was $3 million of songs. Yeah. I'm like, Nick, we, we don't have the money for $3 million of songs. Yeah, Dylan, Peter Gabriel, um, Eurythmics, um, Against the Wind, Bob oh, Seeger. Bob Seeger. Yeah, Seeger's yeah.
0: is notoriously hard to license. Yeah.
2: I mean, impossible. And so... We were able to get, and Natalie Perota in my office worked with this guy, Jerry and Dina. We were able to get, I'd say, 70% of the songs. And we got it down to like 250.
0: You've got new music, but you always seem to have new music. You have new music that we're not allowed to know about. There's always work from Rick happening. But when did you finish this album with Lucy?
3: Um, you know, probably we did it pretty fast, um, towards the end of the pandemic, you know, a few years back. And then I kind of jumped right into another project and then, um, yeah, it just took a minute to kind of wrap up and get it out. But, um, yeah, it was in the middle of a couple of other records and we kind of did it. Yeah. I don't know, I guess, what year is it now? (laughs) Uh, mid
0: 2023 now.
3: Yeah, probably, um, Yeah, I don't know. Probably got it mastered by the end of 21, early 22.
0: So you're a pretty patient guy to be able to sit on music that long.
3: Yeah, I think, you know, I just don't like throwing out, throwing things out there kind of arbitrarily. So until there seems to be a moment that uh, makes sense, then, you know, it just depends. But yeah, I don't like sitting on things uh, typically. Um, But yeah, just had to, it just kind of worked out that way. It was in the middle of other things that kind of, came before that. And then uh, when it was right, we uh, put it out, yeah.
0: So the first song that I heard from this album that I think a lot of people heard was Sayings in Slow Motion, which has a great music video. A mm-hmm. song like that is very groove-oriented, riff-oriented, but at the same time, it's a song. So oh. how does that work in terms of the writing? Is it that the music came first and the lyrics and vocals came second?
3: Um. I that song in particular yes um I had done the lyrics and vocals as well so it kind of was that's how I tip if I'm gonna approach any sort of uh stuff on the vocal end I usually do the music first and then sort of whatever melodies happen and then you know lyrics kind of are the final the final thing yeah but that one came together pretty quick yeah it's a quick one
0: well, your name in it is Richard Flesh. Mm. Ben, and how did that alias come about? Uh,
3: that really was just to um, separate my sort of uh, work that I did on my own as far as visual art and uh, instrumental uh, sort of records that I've been sort of accumulating at this point, which mm-hmm. hopefully by the end of the year, I'll have another one out. So I'm kind oh. of just, just wrap that one up. But um, yeah, I think it was just to really keep things separate. I, I really am not into this sort. Of, I'm very associated with certain groups and things like that, and I really just uh, wanted something very separate from that. That had a, you know, kind of fit the tone of uh, where I was going. So, and I think this this record kind of atmospherically and sonically falls into play with the stuff that I do on my own. So that's why we kind of kept that moving in that direction yeah
0: got it and was the alias just something that came to you on the spot or have years and people calling you richard flesh if no. they got to know you
3: i just thought it sounded off-putting <laughs> so that's why I, and you know usually it starts from from that something that just doesn't sound good yeah. to people and then you know i kind of you know it looked good, written down when I was working on artwork, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, like it just, Beatles, right? It it just was something <laughs> like that, and I just uh, yeah, it was kind of off-putting, and I kind of felt the music was was uh, in that vein as well. So it just kind of and the artwork as well. So um, yeah, that's really that's really it. Hey
1: yo, Tech one two. This is Flavor Flav, and I. Don't disappear fast, because right now you are watching the Paltrow Cast.